Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Weekly Podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, December 16th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. So before we begin today's conversation, I'd like to share two comments. First, today is our final podcast of the year as we take time off around the holidays. So we'll look forward to connecting with you in a few weeks as we put 2022 in the rearview mirror, and we look for a more favorable 2023. And second, on behalf of everyone here at KeyBank, we wish all of our listeners a happy holiday season and a happy new year. So with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on whether the markets will be jolly or if the Grinch has arrived for the economy. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Connor Cloting, Senior Lead Equity Analyst. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealthinsights including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. So taking a look at this week's economic news, the data for the week was mixed. Just yesterday, retail sales disappointed for the month of November, being down 0.6% from the prior month. And this is the first time since July that retail sales were negative month over month. On the positive side of the equation, unemployment claims for the week ending December 10th were 211,000, down from the prior week, again showing signs of resiliency in the job market. But the two big stories for the week were actually inflation that came out under the Consumer Price Index data on Tuesday, showing there's some signs of moderation in inflation, but still remain elevated. October CPI was 7.7%, and November actually came down to 7.1%. Core CPI, excluding food and energy, actually came down as well from 6.3% the prior month to 6.0% in November. However, some of the underlying components still show signs of increases. And then again on Wednesday, we had the Federal Open Market Committee and Jay Powell delivering news of a 50 basis point increase in terms of the Fed funds rate. So we'll talk about that in our conversation today. And we'll actually start with a conversation with Rajiv. Rajiv, how do we think that the Fed has navigated the overall inflation picture? And what do we think it means for the 2023 outlook? So yes, Brian, we, uh, like you said, we had another FOMC meeting this week and another rate hike by the Fed. So by this time around, though, um, everybody had kind of come accustomed to four 75 basis point rate hikes. We've had it one after another, but this time the Fed downshifted. Uh, we had a 50 basis point rate hike this time. And, and what's interesting here is now the Fed has raised over this year 425 basis points this year just to bring inflation under control. And so the policy statement that we read from the, from the Fed and what the Fed uh, talked about in their press conference they really talked about, they expect to take this policy rate to 5.125% in 2023. Now, if you look at the summary of economic projections that the Fed had back in September, this is 50 basis points higher than what they had said in September. And so that really took the market by surprise a little bit. We've also heard from Fed members over time that talked about a higher terminal Fed funds rate, something around 5%. 
but the market was not anticipating 5.125% uh, as the terminal rate for 2023. So there is a disconnect between the market and what the Fed is saying. And obviously the Fed, uh, the market's gonna review the Fed's uh, statement as a hawkish one. In fact, market expectations going into the FOMC meeting after that CPI report earlier this week that showed that inflation was cooling, uh, the market was really anticipating that the Fed would talk something about rate cuts sometime late in third quarter of 2023, maybe early fourth quarter of 2023. But uh, the Fed on Wednesday did not allow the better than expected inflation print to change their position. In fact, if you think about it uh, and you look at the dot plots from the Fed, 17 out of 19 Fed uh, committee members project that rates will be above 5% at the end of 2023. Another interesting takeaway I saw was Fed Chair Powell's uh, press conference uh, we've talked about this before, where would the Fed decide at any point to maybe change their inflation target from its stated 2% goal? Would the, would the Fed come out and say, maybe we should have it around 3.5%, and that way everything will kind of work out and kind of get that soft landing? So Fed Chair Powell was asked the question pretty directly that would you change your inflation target in his press conference? And he said, quote unquote, under no circumstances would they change the target. The Fed, the Fed is going to stick with that target. So if you look at that uh, statement, it pretty much takes it off the table that the Fed would, would not just pivot, but actually change a target, a stated inflation goal of 2%. So we, we do have a lot of work to get there. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done by the Fed to get there. This could take time and more time than the markets are anticipating. Even with that CPI print that we saw this week, Fed Chair Powell stated that the Fed needs to be substantially more uh, aggressive, uh, more restrictive, and also they need substantially more evidence that inflation is cooling. So even with the market pricing in roughly 50 basis points of rate cuts in May and December of next year, it, it's not really what the Fed is saying. So to put it all in perspective, the market is anticipating roughly a 4.4% terminal rate at the end of next year. The Fed's dot plots are indicating that to be 5.125%. And this disconnect has to be resolved one way or the other. So we are going into next year with some volatility. What did you think about it, George? Well, you said it uh, very well as always, Rajiv, so I'm not sure if I could really add too much more to that, but um, I'm curious to know, I guess, when I, when I saw some of the, the numbers that came out this week, just on the headline reports that Brian went through, you know, inflation does seem like it's coming down, but it's not, it, there's kind of two ways to look at this, right? I mean, you can kind of look at this based on the rate of change or the level where we are, right? And that's kind of, I think, the big debate that people are trying to, uh, trying to wrestle with. So in other words, the rate of change suggests that things are slowing, right? So I went back and I looked at some of these inflation numbers and actually on a month-to-month um, -month basis, um, I should say this differently, probably on a year-over-year -year basis, actually inflation uh, reached 7.1% this past uh, past month. That um, That's actually the slowest pace of change, believe it or not, since last December. So in the last 12 months, inflation has been running above 7%. It's still at 7%. So you, again, you could take that argument to mean that maybe the rate of change is slowing, which I guess on one, one hand is good news, but the level itself is still pretty elevated. I mean, as you mentioned, Rajiv, that's still, you know, three, 400 basis points, three or four percentage points higher than what the Fed would like it to be. So again, is it the rate of change or the level? And you know, same thing that Brian mentioned also with respect to um, retail sales. You know, retail sales kind of shrunk month to month, which I think kind of had a whiff of some kind of stagflation kind of components to it as well, in the sense that Demand is softening at the same time that inflation is coming down, but it's still pretty high. So I don't know if the Fed even talked about stagflation as a potential um, scenario, but I think it's one we have to be mindful of, don't you think? I do too. I mean, if you look at the summary of economic projections that the 
the Fed put out there, there are a couple of points that stick out. If you look at inflation, the Fed is still looking for increases in inflation despite moving to a higher policy rate in 2023. So even by taking that policy rate, terminal rate to 5.125%, they're still predicting inflation to continue to be hot next year. Inflation is now expected by the Fed to be 3.1% in 2023, 2.5% in 2024. And the reason that's still not at their goal of 2%. In fact, it's up from their earlier summer of economic projections, which were around 2.8% for next year. So 2.8% to 3.1% on inflation, core inflation, same thing. 3.5% uh, is predicted now for 2023. That's up from 3.1%. So you've got Fed raising rates. Uh, they also talked about uh, their projection for GDP on the summary of economic projections. They expect an economic slowdown. They expect increased inflation, increased unemployment. Uh, all of these seem to be combining to leading to that re uh, recessionary scenario that we've been talking about, uh, George. So how much credence is, is the market giving the Fed right now, Rajiv? Because I think the thing that also struck me with some of the, the reports that came out from the Fed is just the range of outcomes is really, really wide. I mean, I don't think I can remember a time when when the Fed had this kind of policy, um, I guess, I'm just not policy, but maybe a forecast, if you will, around rates uh, going, looking one year ahead. I mean, last year this time, we were, I guess the Fed was thinking that rates might be a little higher, you know, maybe 50, 60 basis points higher, and they end up being wrong by about 400 basis points. So they kind of missed the mark by quite a bit. And now if you look at kind of what they're thinking for rates this time next year, the range again is, is about 150 basis points where some people think rates might come down quite a bit uh, for 2024. Others people, other people on the committee think it might be pretty high. So is the market, um, you know, kind of pricing that in just, or is the market just kind of saying, hey, this is just a, a huge amount of uncertainty. How do you think the market's kind of dealing with that, uh, that level of volatility and forecasts? Uh, great point. I'd, I'd add two points to that. One, one is that the, the market is really, again, not really giving a lot of credibility, if you want to call it that, to what the Fed's dot plots are showing. Uh, with 5.125% as a terminal rate in 2023, you would think that the market would readjust and try to get closer to that level. The market still uh, expects the terminal rate to be around under 5%. So I think before the meeting started, we were at 4.80% as a market expectation. The meeting went through, we went to 4.88, and now we're back to 4.84. Uh, so again, the market is, is not really thinking the Fed's going to be able to do a soft landing there next year. They think the Fed's going to, their arms are going to be tied and they're going to have to start cutting rates sometime next year. And that disconnect is going to continue until we get to a point where data starts to go the other way. If we see an inflation print that's hotter than expected, then yes, we'll quickly get up to where the Fed is, uh, the market will quickly get up to where the Fed is, is talking about as far as their as their plots go. The other problem here also that I would add, the second point, is the market, the Fed does realize the what they do, their actions, there is a lag between their actions and how the data comes out as far as inflation goes. Um, and as long as that lag is there, we don't really know the full extent of these Fed actions until we see it in the data. And I don't think the Fed knows that either. That's why the Fed starts to, uh, you know, they, they mentioned the lag last uh, meeting, this time they did not. But I think it's going to be very important to make sure that they understand, the Fed understands that their tools are lag indicators on what happens with the inflation economy. Yeah, great points, Rajiv. So I think from your perspective, as we've been saying for a while now, there's income and fixed income again. So at least you've got some opportunities to find some yield and fixed income. Uh, I know you've been preaching the idea of staying really high quality, which also I think makes a ton of sense given some of these ranges of uncertainty, if you will, uh, pretty high. On equities, Connor, you know, the equity market, I think in our view, 
is going to probably be a year in which there's a wide range of outcomes next year too, right? We've got some kind of uh, really wide range in terms of what could happen if things go right and uh, maybe what could go wrong as well. But beneath the surface, I think, you know, even maybe the, the top line uh, part of the market, if you will, the overall market indices might be a little bit choppy. We're trying to find some interesting opportunities. I think you identified a couple that might be worth talking about. So um, can you bring up to speed on things you've been look at, looking at with respect to opportunities inside the equity market for next year? Sure, sure. Thank, thanks, George. So I think uh, when you think about these range of outcomes uh, in the market, as you mentioned, it's pretty wide. Uh, but there's still, as as a equity analyst and a stock picker, there's still pockets of the market that make me, you know, really excited. And there's there's always opportunities. There's always going to be companies that outperform the market. So uh, when we when we think of those areas that have historically outperformed the market, one of them where uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time on over my career is uh, special situations and uh, specifically in, in spinoffs. So spinoffs over the last 20 years that Bloomberg has um, an index over the last 20 years have outperformed the market by uh, about a percent and a half a year, outperformed the S&P 500 that is. So, so if that's an area of the market that we know historically is outperformed, so it's an area that we should probably spend a little bit more time trying to understand um, what opportunities there are in, in, in that piece of the market. And, and so that's, that's where um, I think opportunities will, will come about over the next year. And I, I think uh, specifically the interesting stat is this index had over 50 companies in it in the 2014, 2015 timeframe. In the last couple of years, there's only been 20 um, companies in this index. And, and that backlog uh, appears to be growing. Uh, so I think not only, you know, that that will create more opportunities for for us to uh, you know find some of these spinoffs that um, have the propensity to outperform. And what is it, I, I guess, Connor, that that uh, that makes spinoffs attractive, or what kind of gives them that um, that staying power, that sustainability to actually continue to outperform, in your view? Yeah, sure. So there 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 are a couple items that I'd, I'd point to. One one being it's you know, spinoffs generally are when a company decides that, you know, their their basic strategic corporate planning says, hey, this asset would, you know, be better served on its own, whether that's for, you know, capital allocation priorities, different growth rates. Sometimes, you know, a company owns businesses that are in complete polar opposite industries. There's uh, one company that spun off this past year that had a industrial you know, welding business and had a medical technology business. So, so those two businesses probably made sense to be apart. Uh, but, but it, so that's one one reason. Then another is there's there's actually um, tax advantages to spinning off versus versus selling an asset. So when you spin off, uh, a company doesn't have to pay uh, capital gains tax versus if they were to sell the private equity or another strategic company. So that that those are uh, other reasons there. And then also there's just generally um, greater market inefficiencies around around spinoffs because they you know tend to have you know one shareholder base that doesn't want to own the spinoff shares that they receive so those, those are areas that i think have helped drive this outperformance over time so george as we uh finish our last podcast of the year and we head into 2023 i thought it'd be a great opportunity for our listeners for you to share some quick comments on what you think the 2023 outlooks looks like from our perspective here at key 
Yeah, sure, Brian. Thanks very much. And again, I want to wish everybody a really uh, very happy and festive holiday season uh, with your friends and family. You know, I think as we come into the year ahead, um, we continue to think that inflation is going to be something to watch. Um, and I think it's probably, you know, starting to slow, but it's probably not going to slow to the level in which the Fed can really feel like things are kind of back to normal, if you will. So in other words, as Rajiv talked about, the, the official target of 2% is still probably not likely to be achieved, unfortunately, in the year ahead. Um, and with that in mind, I guess the Fed is probably going to have to keep rates a little bit higher for longer. Um, the economy is slowing. We're seeing evidence of that every day. Um, so I think, unfortunately, Brian, the, the odds of recession have certainly grown. Um, in our view, the silver line, I guess, is, though, that if, if we do see a recession, if one does materialize, it probably won't be an historic one. When, in other words, we won't see, hopefully, the, the damage that was done in prior recessions. And frankly, the most recent recessions are ones that kind of just stay in our memory, right? 2008 was a year that people associate with a really bad outcome. 2020, of course, was, was COVID. Um, and I don't think it's going to be quite that bad this time. So I think we have to kind of be patient and kind of ride these things out. This is part of the natural business cycle. And irrespective of that, we really want to stay fully diversified. And by that, I mean really incorporating new things and new tools into your portfolio uh, to make sure you stay diversified and can actually weather these storms that might be on the horizon. But with that, again, I want to wish everybody a truly festive holiday and a safe one with your fans, uh, friends and family. Well, thank you for the conversation today, George, Rajiv, and Connor. We certainly appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you in the new year to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.